When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to episode number 11. Today on Talking Mopars, we have Project Car of the Week, and in an effort to put a dent in this stack of stories that I have that is ever-growing, we're going to share a few listener stories. This is going to be yet another fun-filled episode of the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Hello, fellow Mopar enthusiasts. We are back again, and like always, we are ready to roll. I gotta say that I have an absolute blast doing this podcast, and what makes it even better is when I get messages of support, or when I see posts about the show out there on social media, like when people share it, or they just say something nice. It really tells me that I am positively connecting with you in the way that I have always intended, through our mutual enthusiasm for Mopars. Hearing and seeing those things is super motivational, and I'm very thankful and appreciative to everyone who listens and whoever drops me a line or says something positive about me or the show. This is the best, most fulfilling unpaid job I've ever had. My only problem is that I just feel like I don't have enough time to produce as much content as I really want to, but hopefully that'll change someday. And until then, I'll still be talking Mopar projects for sale, listener Mopar stories, and other Mopar awesomeness every Mopar Monday. Speaking of talking Mopars, I think it's time to get this show on the road. This week's Project Car of the Week is an e-body, and it is also, in my opinion, reasonably priced. So let's get right into it. Let's read this ad. 1972 Dodge Challenger, one owner numbers matching, 9500. Duncanville. 1972 Dodge Challenger V8 318 automatic factory air. Bought new from downtown Dodge in Dallas and has been in Dallas its whole life. One owner car, original motor, trans rear end. I have the original carburetor to the original wheels. Car runs and drives, but it's not ready to be a daily driver. New fuel tank, plug wires, distributor, etc. Needs paint and interior. AC is not working. I have the original title that was issued for this car in 1972. $9,500. Now, I realize that 1972 wasn't the most popular body style of the Challenger, or Barracuda for that matter, but in today's market, if you want to get into an e-body for just an arm, and not an arm, and a leg, and your firstborn, 
you may want to consider a 1972-plus e-body. If you wanted to, there is even potential to convert the necessary body parts to a 70 or 71 if you so desired. If you like that body style better, and a lot of you do, there are options if you find a 1972-plus e-body that is within your price range and you still have plenty of room to work, you can always acquire all the necessary parts to convert a later model e-body into one of the earlier body styles. For me, I really like the look of this car, and although I do prefer 70 or 71 model years, I would absolutely drive any e-body because I find them all cool, even though some years look better than others. What I like about this particular car is that when I first saw it, I envisioned a car that would make a really cool ratty street machine. I can't tell if the car is a faded red or a faded hemi orange, but the paint is faded, which I always find rad. You know, that patina look, um, that sun-baked look. I like that look. I don't know why. I also love show cars, don't get me wrong, but there's something about, you know, a ratty as-found muscle car that I just, it really speaks to me. But the car's red or Hemi Orange, haven't figured that one out yet. The ad says red, but in the pictures it looks pretty orange to me, and like I said, I don't know if that's, you know, sun baking or what, but we're going to go ahead and just call this car red. It's got a white interior, although it is a little worse for wear. It's numbers matching. It's a bucket seat floor shifter automatic console car that also has a V8, which is always nice. The owner has some original parts, like the original carb, and the original wheels to go along with it, and that's nice too. It also has some ugly, basic aftermarket wheels, which obviously have to go. But if it were mine, and I bought this car and brought it home, here's what I would do. First things first, I would obviously get it safely running and driving. Now, the car does run and drive, which is always a plus, but we want to make sure it's safe for the road. So I would definitely do that first. And then next, I would clean it up a little bit on the inside by freshening up the interior with some new soft goods and a really good detail. Then I'd put some, I don't know, either keystones, slotted mags, or craggers on it with a nice rake. I'm leaning towards the slotted mags because I think they would fit, I think they would fit the look of this car a little bit better, you know. I always, there's a part of me that when I see a brand new set of wheels on a ratty muscle car, it just doesn't look right to me. But if I find, uh, you know, if I'm at a swap meet and I find a ratty set of slotted mags, you know, that are staggered, you know, that would probably look really good on this car. And that's probably the direction I would go. So I would get the slotted mags on it, give it a nice rake, you know, jack it up a little bit in the back, you know, give it that real 80s, you know, junker look. And I say junker look with nothing but love because I love that look. So that's what I would do. I'd get the, you know, I hate using the word stance, but I'd get that stance right. You know, give it, give it that, you know, that, that Joe Dirt look. That's a good word for it because it's like something Joe Dirt would drive. You know what I mean? But once it's safe to drive and somewhat cleaned up, then I would cruise the heck out of it. You know, this is my style. Nothing too flashy, but just enough to help people reminisce about the good old days if they see the car out in the wild. I've said before that I am a big fan of ratty muscle cars, and I think this Challenger has a lot of potential to fit that bill. It's priced reasonably, but I do think I would be happier if it was around like five grand. <laughs> but, you know, 9500 
It's a lot of money, but the car looks pretty solid. It is one owner numbers matching, so we can give them that. Um, it does run and drive, which is always a great start with any project car. But I see 70 or 71 e-body projects that are practically shells for double and sometimes even triple the price that this one's going for. So for those of us who are on a tight budget and just want some cheap fun, this could really be a good project car. I know that I would have zero issues driving it the exact way that I envisioned it. Anyway, that's Project Car of the Week. And remember, these Mopars aren't going to save themselves, so it's up to us to do it. No Mopar left behind. It is time once again for a Listener Stories episode. I have such a large pile of these stories that I thought it was time to, you know, knock a few of them out in one episode. That way we can, you know, like I said earlier, put a dent in this stack. So we've got three of them today. So without further ado, let's get right into the stories. This first story comes from Thomas Vennerstrom from Sweden. Hi, Chris. We'll start this by saying thanks for a very interesting podcast. It has just the right balance between facts, info, and your personal opinion. Keep it up, and I'm looking forward to hearing the first guest in the near future. Well, here is my Mopar story, and although not easy, I will try and keep it short. Probably should start by saying that I live in Sweden, so you can consider me one of your international fans. All of the pricing that I mention in my story is, of course, in dollars. Growing up in a gearhead family, it was almost impossible to not catch the car bug. Spent most of my childhood plowing through tons of car magazines and reading up on every project I could, and of course getting my hands dirty on every car my dad dragged into his garage. Amongst all the cars that passed through my dad's fingers, there was also a few Mopars. For example, a 1966 satellite two-door hardtop, originally 318 swapped for a 340, a 1970 Super B 446 pack, and of course the one that really made a mark, a 1969 Charger. It was a base model with a 318-904 column shift in gold metallic with black vinyl roof and black interior. Nothing special, but in a very nice stock condition. This was in the early 80s. After watching the best car movie ever, Bullet, more times than I can count as a kid, the Charger had already left a permanent stamp in my gearhead soul. Since my dad never managed to keep anything for very long, he didn't manage to keep this beauty either. Growing up, getting a job in a place of my own, I went through a number of cars before I had a chance to buy my first Charger at the age of 25. Around 94 95, sitting at my current job eating lunch and reading a couple of old classifieds we had laying around with hundreds of uninteresting cars, I suddenly stumble across this beautiful 1969 Charger. It was a 1969 SE, 383 HP, and 727 Auto with floor shifter slash console in F5 green metallic, black vinyl top, tan interior, 14-inch Magnum 500 wheels, and a white bumblebee stripe. When I take a closer look at the magazine I'm reading, it turns out that it's more than a year old, so this car must have been sold a long time ago. But I took a chance and called the number in the ad, and to my big surprise, Nobody had showed up with the right amount of cash in hand yet. So the following weekend, I took a four-hour trip to see this car, and it was just as good as I had hoped. A 69 SE, partially restored after a minor fender bender and fitted with a complete RT package, except for the 440. A really nice driver that had been sitting for a couple of years after being restored. We negotiated a deal, and I drove the car home with no issues. Think I paid like seven grand or so for this excellent driver-quality charger. Spent the following winter updating the car with detailing the engine, new tires, custom 2.5-inch exhaust, Edelbrock carburetor, 
and a Mopar electronic ignition system. The car looked really nice, and I enjoyed a couple of wonderful summers in this car. Life changed, met the love of my life, started my own family, and being an ordinary working man, not an auto mechanic by profession, I made the very bad choice to sell this car as we needed some money to buy a summer house. Since then, I have spent the last 20 years raising a family, building two new homes, restoring a couple of other cars as a hobby, and owning a number of nice daily drivers. Went through a broad spectrum of nice cars. For example, a 1970 R-Code Mustang Mach 1 428 Cobra Jet, a street-legal, barely, Toyota Drift car, a couple of BMW M5s, to mention a few. But none of these could cure my longing for a Gen 2 Charger, so at the age of 49, I made the decision to finally do something about this. Only problem is that during these 20 plus years, the price on a Gen 2 Charger in good condition has gone up from 10 grand to 40 to 50 grand for a really nice driver. And if I were to buy a car that I really wanted, in the condition I wanted, it would be more like 70 grand or more. Yes, I would like a really nice 68 to 69 Charger. Not wanting to take out a second mortgage on my house or starting a second job, the only way to reach this dream was to build my own Charger from scratch. Started by setting a budget for this build, and after selling another car I just finished, I convinced myself that 40 grand would be enough, because I do most of the work by myself. My plan was to restore a 68 or 69 Charger to factory spec, with the exception for engine and transmission. Since I had been working on a number of newer cars that delivered plenty of power, and still had great fuel economy slash reliability, I really wanted to do an engine swap in this build. And since some used Gen 3 Hemi started to turn up in circulation, this had to be the obvious choice. I really love the rumble of an RB engine with high compression, a healthy cam, and long tube headers, but since I planned for longer road trips, I decided to go a different way. And going down the original Elephant Hemi road was not an option because they are way too pricey in any shape or form. During the search for a project to sink my teeth into, I came across a 68 that was imported to Sweden in 2004 in a pretty sad state. The owner had started a very ambitious rotisserie restoration with new floor pans, trunk floor, rear quarters, and a new paint job in T7 bronze and a custom 68-70 to 70 style bumblebee stripe in champagne metallic. After that, the owner ran out of cash slash interest and now considered to put it up for sale. I took a trip to inspect the car in real life to get a better grip on things, and it's always sketchy to buy a car in boxes. The body was finished in a very nice way, but everything else needed to be restored. To make a very long story short, it took me more than three months to talk the owner into selling me this car at a price I could afford. Ended up paying just shy of 24 grand for this unfinished project. The former owner stated he was into this car well over 35 grand, not including the purchase. 24 grand was still a bit more than I planned to pay, but this car was too good to pass by. This meant that I would have to cut a few corners in my build, not to end up way over budget. Had initially planned for a used 6.4 Gen 3 Hemi engine, but had to compromise here and made a big save when I was offered a 5.7 Gen 3 Hemi with a Tremec 6-speed from a 2016 Challenger RT that was folded around a light post with only 5,000 miles on the odometer. Have now been working on completing my dream car for a little more than one year, and will hopefully have it up and running come springtime. As a car, Mopar, enthusiast, it has always been a dream to have a totally restored body and to assemble this to a new car piece by piece. I would like to refer to my build as an OE+, but the rest of the car world would probably consider this a resto mod. Whatever, I'm realizing my dream here and I feel very privileged to be able to do this and I could go on and on about this build, but I have to draw the line somewhere. P.S. Interesting fact about my 68. 
It was sold new in Texas as triple green slant six and three-speed manual with column shifter. I've been told one of 11 cars made in 68 with this engine slash transmission combo. So if I was doing this build as investment, I would of course return it to its original state, but this build was already too far gone in my opinion. And besides that, I would never own a Charger without a V8. Best regards, Thomas Vennerstrom. Hey Thomas, thanks for sharing your story. One thing we have in common is the amount of car magazines we consumed as kids. That seems to be a common theme amongst us car enthusiasts, and it's sad that a lot of magazines are folding altogether or strictly going digital. But as far as your Charger goes, I love your project. The car looks great so far. I think that as time goes on, we're going to see a lot more projects where people install Gen 3 Hemis in these classic Mopars. I'm a big fan of these kinds of builds and have seriously been considering a Gen 3 build for my Dart, but that's a different story. Thomas, you're part of a fortunate group of people who were lucky enough to have a second generation Charger at such a young age, and I'm sure it was disappointing that you sold it, but I'm happy to hear that you are back in the game with another one. It sounds like you've had some pretty neat cars throughout your life, but the fact that you still wanted another Charger really shows how much you love those cars. And I like the fact that you found a Charger as an unfinished project and took on the task of finishing it and really making the car into something special with your own vision in mind. The car is gorgeous, and the modern Hemi with the six-speed transmission is the perfect complement to a really nice build. I also think the Magnum 500s and the Redline tires really tie it all together well. So keep me posted on the project, Thomas, and I'm excited to see if you reach your goal by the spring of this year. The modern Hemis are just a great engine choice for classic Mopars because you get the better fuel mileage, reliable power. Fuel injection is a great thing, and I know that there are a lot of diehard carburetor folks out there who don't like electronic fuel injection, but speaking for myself, if you don't mind going the electronic fuel injection route, I really think that the modern Hemi is the best engine to put in your classic Mopar if originality is not a factor. Again, Thomas, thanks for sharing. It's great to hear from people in other parts of the world. I'm curious to see what the Mopar scene is actually like in Sweden. So maybe that's another place that I'll get to someday if I ever get the chance to take talking Mopars across the pond. This next story is from Rob Wallace. Good morning, Chris. My name is Rob Wallace, originally from Massachusetts and now living in Florida. So I thought I would share a quick story for you about a cross-country trip in a modern Mopar. I purchased a 2013 Dodge Challenger RT with a manual transmission new in Jacksonville, Florida. As life progressed, my wife and I found ourselves married with our first daughter, Kennedy, born in 2015. I had just taken a promotion at my job, which required us to move to Tampa, Florida in September 2015. As a professional sailor, planning vacation has always been difficult, so finally being able to work a 9-to-5 afforded us the opportunity to do a proper family vacation. Thus. On a whim, my wife and I decided we needed a trip to South Dakota. So in July 2016, we began our epic road trip to Deadwood in our Challenger with our one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. To add to the adventure, we decided to camp on the way up and the way home. This trip was without a doubt the coolest thing I've ever done. We had the entire trunk loaded down along with a luggage rack on the back, courtesy of a trailer hitch I had installed. This was quite interesting considering the car was lowered on Hotchkiss suspension. We made our way to Deadwood via Chattanooga, St. Louis, Omaha, and eventually to the Black Hills of South Dakota. Needless to say, people in the upper Midwest don't see many Dodge Challengers, let alone ones that are lowered with a luggage rack on the back. 
We explored from Deadwood to Devil's Tower in Gillette, Wyoming. Along the way, we found ourselves stopping in places like Wall Drug or Buffalo Jump Saloon in Beulah, Wyoming. All the while, just simply enjoying the drive, the company, and most of all, this great country. Since that time, we have had our second daughter, Reagan. We have traded that Challenger for a 2018 Challenger Scat Pack Shaker with a manual, but we still daydream about that trip, reminisce over pictures, and talk about it quite often. We have decided to make the trip again this coming summer, this time without the camping. This story is by no means the most exciting, the most adventurous, or the most entertaining. What it is, though, is my story about the greatest trip I've ever taken, one that gets me through those boring Tuesdays in the office where I find my mind wandering. Our pictures tell the real story, and we did what a lot of people sadly don't do. We got out and did it, and we will do it again. Sincerely, Rob Wallace. Rob, thanks for sharing your story. What a fun adventure that must have been, all camping out of a Challenger, too, with a a one-and-a-half-year-old, no less. I feel like it's an adventure just going to the grocery store with my daughter, so my hat is off to you for taking that trip and surviving. (laughs) I can't imagine that it was easy, but personally, I love road trips, so I can see how someone would find a long road trip like that a lot of fun. Camping out of a Challenger with a luggage rack attached to it. You know, that's, (laughs) that's crazy, man. I know what racks you're talking about, too, and I can honestly say I've never seen one hooked up to a Challenger, let alone one that is lowered. (laughs) So the looks you must have gotten must have been half the fun of the trip, dude. But I'm looking at pictures of the Challenger, and I think it looks very good with the black Hellcat-style wheels, the TA-style hood, and that little spoiler on the back. Very tasteful. I like the look a lot. Um, It's a beautiful billet silver metallic color, too. It's a very nice car, so... I can imagine you had a lot of fun cruising that thing across the country. I've always dreamt that I would take a gambling trip in a Mopar someday where I fly out across the country to buy a Mopar and then drive it back home. (laughs) I call it a gambling trip because that's exactly what you'd be doing buying a car that far from home and driving it back. The whole way you're just trying to enjoy yourself, but in the back of your mind you have a little mantra replaying in your head saying, we're going to make it. Please make it. We're going to make it. Please make it. Just over and over again, just hoping that you actually make it back home with this car that you just bought that you know nothing about. (laughs) And your second stop after fuel would probably be the nearest parts store to buy all the common replacement parts and fluids you may need because you're throwing together a roadside emergency kit for any mishaps that may happen along the way. If you flew out and you didn't carry on some tools, you'd probably be buying a cheap little tool set too. But I think the best way to do a trip like that would be to drive out there with like a friend and some sort of a support vehicle that would follow you home. But then I guess it really wouldn't be that much of a gamble. But in exchange, you get a little peace of mind. (laughs) I really think that's why motor trend shows like Roadkill, Roadkill Garage, and Hot Rod Garage are so crazy popular. They show that, you know, with a little knowledge, a few bucks, and some basic tools, you could essentially take a complete you know, duct tape, zip tied pile on a road trip and actually make it home somewhat safely. You can be, you know, an average enthusiast and pull off a cool trip like that. It's really inspiring. And I'm really thankful that shows like that exist because they also fuel the enthusiast community. But Rob, it sounds like you're going to make the next journey a little faster by taking a scat pack challenger this time around. Be sure to send in your story for that trip too. And safe travels to you and your family. Thanks for sending in your story. This next listener story is from Byron Gray. 
Hi, Chris. My love for Mopar started when I was a kid, and when I would go to my uncle's house, I would always want to go see his race car. His car, a 1970 Dodge Challenger SE, he raced a little bit years ago, and now it's more of a street driver now. That car left an impact on me, and I told myself I want a car just like my uncle's, and one day I will have one. Fast forward a little to when I got my first Mopar. I was in the Navy in Washington State, and a few guys in my shop were all getting cool cars. One got a Datsun 270Z, one got a Fox Body Mustang, and another got an 80s Firebird. So I started looking around for a car. After about two weeks, I narrowed it down to two choices. A 66 Ford Falcon and a 67 Dodge Dart GT. The Falcon didn't run or drive, and the owner did not know why. I was living in an apartment at the time, so I needed something that could run and drive. Well, the Dart did. So I went to Everett and looked at it. It was a clean slant six car, five owners before me, ran and drove great. Then went back a couple days later and attempted to drive it home. I had to go to Seattle, then I was going to take it on the ferry back to Bremerton. Unfortunately, on the drive to the ferry, going across the viaduct, the zip ties holding the transmission cooler on it broke and hit the fan and cracked it. And I had to get the car towed and it stayed in Seattle the night. The next day, I went back with a new transmission cooler and put it in the car in the tow yard and headed to the ferry. As I was getting the car on the ferry, going over the ramp from the dock to the boat was a big drop. The nose of the car dropped and hit. I parked the car on the ferry, steam come up from under the car. I got out and looked under the car. Turns out the guy I bought it from put way too big of a radiator in the car and it hung lower than the core support. I got the car across the water. It got towed home by a friend. I put the right radiator in it and it was perfect. I still have the car. It's on the waiting list to be built. The slant went bad. I have a 5.7 Hemi and an A8334 speed I'm going to put in it. After we get my girlfriend's 72 Swinger back running, yes, she likes cars too and had that car before we met. We are putting a 360 in it. I'm going to get a 318-904 to put in so I can drive it around. I can't stand seeing it pushed to the side just sitting there not being used. Now my other car, my 1973 Plymouth Duster, when I found this car, I wasn't even looking for another car. My Dart was still running and wasn't thinking about another car. A good friend of mine got a washer from a couple and he noticed they had an old car and it was for sale. He told me about it. I went on Craigslist and found the ad. The price was too high for me at the time, so I left it and forgot about it. I'm always looking on Craigslist a couple times a week just to see what is on there and a month or two later I see that car again. The price was half of what it was before, so I said okay. I'll go check out the car. Called my buddy who first told me about it and we went. Turns out they bought the car because the wife saw it and said she wanted it. They didn't know what they were doing with it. After seeing the car, I ended up liking it and wanted it. We made a deal and bought the car. The guy said it wouldn't stay running, something was wrong with the carburetor. After rigging it with a little C-clamp I had in my car to stay running, we pushed it out of the driveway. It wouldn't go into reverse. Well, it did not get far from there. The car ran terrible and at a stoplight it was smoking out of the hood. Got it to a U-Haul and found the valve covers only had two bolts in them, so oil was getting onto the headers. And the valves were badly out of adjustment. Car got towed to a friend's house and he held on to the car until I moved into a house where I could actually work on the car. By this time, I still don't know what this car has in it other than it's a small block 360. I pulled the engine and transmission. I had to replace the cam. It was bad. Ate a couple lifters. The cam I pulled out was a circle track race cam. A previous owner raced it a little. I put in a less aggressive, not by much more, street driving cam, and new push rods. All I had to do with the transmission is it had a deep pan and the filter adapter was too long so the filter would sit against the pan. Cut it shorter, welded it, and the transmission works great. Put it back together, car runs and drives great, sounds healthy and mean. 
It has a 360 board 40 over, has high compression pistons, and the transmission is a 727 with a reverse manual valve body. Thank you for reading my stories. I enjoy the podcast. I listen to them on my way home from work. I actually met you at a car show in Graham, Washington as Sunbust. You had a booth set up over in the swap meet area and I got an old Plymouth Hemi ad from you. I will attach pictures of my cars as well. My dart is the black 67 and my girlfriend's is the blue 72. Then my uncle's challenger as well as an old drag racing one from like 25 years ago. Hey Byron, thanks for sharing your story. Sounds like you had an interesting trip bringing your dart home, but glad you made it, even if it took two toes. I also commend you for not getting discouraged after such a rough start after purchasing a new car. I'm sure there are some folks out there who would have just given up, called it uh, not meant to be, and sold the car. You didn't, and for that, you have my respect. I like your plans for a modern Hemi swap with the AA334 speed. That's going to be really cool, and I'm sure you'll be even happier with the car when the car has, you know, a modern power plant under the hood. And hey, it's great that your girlfriend also has a Mopar. I am a big proponent of not only kids in this hobby, but women too. I've met plenty of women into Mopars, and they are all really cool, and their passion for Mopars is unrivaled. So it's not surprising to me that your girlfriend had a dart before you two met. actually hope someday that my daughter has the same passion for Mopars that so many of the women in the Mopar community I have met possess. It's really cool, and I have high hopes that my daughter, you know, I have high hopes for her because one correlation I've noticed is that most women who are Mopar enthusiasts have dads who are also Mopar enthusiasts and who own some cool Mopars. I want my daughter to be her own person, but if she's at all influenced by my enthusiasm for Mopars, then so be it. Back to your story, Byron. I found it amusing that you ended up buying a Duster too. I'm not sure I've actually ever met another Mopar enthusiast who is satisfied with having just one Mopar. <laughs> it's like, the thing that really got me feeling bad for you was that the Duster ended up having to get towed too. That's rough, man, but you know, eventually you got that car home too, you know, and you're cranking away on your project. So keep me posted on your projects, buddy. I always enjoy the follow-up stories. Also, thank you for sharing the pictures and for sending in your story. It's always nice hearing from folks that I've met in person. That's it for listener stories, folks. I encourage you to send your story to me no matter how short or long. You can do that by emailing them to me at chris at talkingmopars.com. Also, I really enjoy it when you send pictures in with your stories. It helps make the stories more personal, and I really enjoy seeing the cars that I'm actually talking about. Plus, it helps if I have pictures to share to help promote the episodes that feature your stories, so it's also important to mention your Instagram and Facebook account information in the message after your story so that I can tag you in those posts. This segment of the show is really fun for me because I get a chance to see the commonalities between every Mopar enthusiast. It's something that I find extremely interesting. And one of the glaring things I've noticed is that a large percentage of car enthusiasts were actually born into it. So someone influential in their lives were car enthusiasts as they were growing up, and they followed the same path. It's pretty obvious why that would occur, but when you read enough of these stories, you really start seeing patterns found within them. So Please keep sharing your stories with me. I don't care what kind of Mopar your story is about. I don't care if it's modern or classic. I only care that you share. For more information about the show, or if you are helping me in spreading the word about this podcast, 
please remember TalkingMopars.com. I recently updated the page and made it easier to navigate so that people can easily listen and subscribe to the show. Thanks again for all the kind words, the shares, the likes, and your continued support. My name is Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.